In 1 John chapter 4, 1 John chapter 4, and uh, we're going to just share a message on the love of God tonight. Well, 1 John uh, chapter 4, I'm going to begin reading in uh, verse 7, and read down to verse 10, and we'll take our text out of verse 9 and 10. The love of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for just this wonderful passage to read tonight, reminding us of the precious love of God and how it impacts us and uh, the grace of God that moves through us, enabling us to love one another. And yea, even beyond that, Lord, uh, loving the sinner and uh, longing for them to be saved also. And so I pray that you just would speak to each of our hearts tonight. Uh, remind us of how precious it is to know there's a God in heaven who loves us. And uh, Lord, may we be able to, in a, in a positive way, be able to communicate uh, that relationship uh, with others that they might be saved. And so bless us tonight. Speak to each of us in a special way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text verses, verse 9 and 10, says, And this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Uh, today, in our morning service, our choir sang a song entitled Love Carried the Cross. Tonight, we sang a song entitled By Our Love. And uh, in light of the songs that we were singing, I thought, well, it would just be appropriate to be able to preach on the love of God tonight and tie it all together. Our congregational songs that we've been singing this morning and also tonight all deal with the love of God. How precious it is to know there's a God in heaven who really does love us and care for, cares for us. There's so many people in the world that have no concept whatsoever of what real love is. The Apostle Paul, I'm sorry, Apostle John certainly understood what it mean, meant to be loved by God. And certainly understood the love of God. He was one that was known as the one who was leaning on Jesus' bosom. And it says he was one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. And so certainly if there's someone that was qualified to write uh, Holy Scripture, uh, to record for us to be able to understand and experience the love of God, it certainly would be the Apostle John. There's many children uh, tonight that don't know what it is to have the love of a father in the home. Uh, there's many a uh, woman and many a man who are uh, hurting tonight because of the fact they don't know what real love is because of a divorce or because of some abuse or whatever. There's people all around the world tonight that are crying out for somebody to love them. And they need to hear that God in heaven loves them and cares for them. And we need to communicate that to them. The problem is when it comes to this topic of love, the world views love in a completely different way than the way God views love. The world's views of love is, is dealt with emotionally. Everything is in reference to emotions. Uh, the problem is uh, if love is only based on the emotions or how we feel 
or how we respond, uh, our emotions are fickle. They change all the time. Uh, today I might be happy, tomorrow I'll be sad. You know, today I might be just in, in wanting to embrace everyone, and tomorrow I don't want to talk to anybody, amen? And so emotions uh, cannot be the foundation and the basis of what love is, and yet the world wonders why it is they cannot grasp and experience real love, and it's because they're looking at it through uh, the wrong view, uh, just looking at it as being something that is very emotional. They also look at love as being sensual, sensual, and uh, so it's, it's got to move me emotionally, it's got to move, move me physically, uh, it's got to be something that is sensual and appearing, appealing to the lust of the flesh, and, uh, and that is constantly changing also. And they look at, the world looks at oh, uh, love as being sexual. And, uh, and they, they explain uh, love through the context of sexuality. Uh, they try to deal with the concept of being accepted, saying that they are, they are loved based on physical relationships. And these things all fail, and they all change, and uh, they are not stable, and it leaves people sitting in a hopeless situation, an abusive situation. Uh, they leaves them in a situation where they are empty inside. They're simply a shell that's trying to figure out what life is all about. And so the world condemns us in the way that it views and approaches this matter of love. However, God views love in a different way. God views love as sacrificial. You know, God loved the, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so God looks at what love is, is based on the sacrificial. Jesus said, greater love has no man than a man should lay down his life for his friends. And so everything in the scriptures about love is sacrifice, sacrificial. When the Bible, when a man uh, a mar in a marriage relationship, you want to build a good marriage relationship, then the man needs to understand the command is uh, we're supposed to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Sacrificial. And oftentimes men have this idea, well, I'm just going to be the king of my castle. My wife better be doing what I tell her to do. And then he wonders why she gets a baseball bat and hits him up beside the head. Amen. And uh, a man is to be living a life of sacrifice to care for and nurture and support and provide for his wife. And his wife is to submit to her husband and follow the leadership of her husband in the home. And so it's all based on submitting themselves one towards another. It's sacrificial. And if you're going to go into marriage, you're going to try to be a part of church ministry. You're going to try to live your Christian life based on the fact of no sacrifice. You will always come up wanting. And because the reality is the demands in life and the developing of relationships together does involve sacrifice. God not only views love as sacrificial, but he views love as something that is practical. Something that's practical. And, uh, you know, children are supposed to obey their parents in the Lord. Uh, they do that because of their love for their parents. It's very practical. It develops a uh, parent-child relationship that is viable and profitable in that the uh, parents provide for their children and the children understand that. Their love for their parents, they submit to them and they're obedient to them. 
uh, in our life as a Christian. We say we love God, we live our life in a spirit of obedience. It's a very practical relationship because of the fact that uh, there's nothing that God demands or commands of us uh, that is not beneficial for us, and so we allow our lives to become molded after the character of Christ. We pattern our existence after the commands of God. And so if love is sacrificial and it's practical, then certainly it'll be relational. And uh, so we develop these relationships one with another. In the body of Christ, if someone has a need, then others sacrifice to meet that need. And so there's a practical way to be able to care for one another and then develops a deepness of relationship one with another. The same way in the home, same way in our society. If all we're going to do is look at life and to consider love in the realm of what I can get out of it, or what can I enjoy, or what's going to be best for me, uh, you'll always miss the mark and always come up wanting. But with Christ and with God as our, our Savior, then we can see how to sacrifice and live a life that is very practical, developing and, and building our relationship with God, enabling us to have a proper relationship with one another. You cannot have a proper relationship with each other if your relationship with God is not right. Because when your relationship with God is not right, you will succumb to the influence of the flesh, you will adapt to the, the mood or the changing or the culture of the world. And uh, they get it wrong every time. And so we need to submit ourselves and be sacrificial in our relationships so we can live a practical life that is powerful and life-changing. And so the love of God. John tells us that here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And so, really, when you think about the love of God, our love for God is reciprocal. We're responding to God's love for us. Man does not initiate love towards God. It is God who is the initiator of love towards man. And because of that, then man responds to that love, and he adapts himself to the reality of how God views what real love is. And so let's think of a couple of things here tonight. First of all, let's consider the manifestation of God's love. In verse 9, says, now this was manifested. So there's our first point, the manifestation. Uh, now, and this was manifested, the love of God towards us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And so the manifestation of the love of God is that God has sent his only begotten son into this world. So that means God is reaching out to man. Uh, you do not find in the scriptures that man is reaching out to God. Uh, matter of fact, in Romans 3.11 says, There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. And uh, man as a sinner is not going after God. And it is God who comes to meet man, and it is God who reaches out to man to bring conviction upon man that he might respond to the love of God, that he might be born again. And uh, we, 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 sometimes I hear some teachers on the radio, and I read some books at different times, and their presentation uh, almost puts man in the driver's seat, so to speak, for salvation. 
And it seems like they approach sometimes the, this concept that it is man that's going after God. And when in all reality, man is not pursuing God. It's God pursuing man. And uh, God came looking for Adam and Eve. When they sit in the Garden of Eden, they realized they were naked and they realized they had broken God's command not to eat of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. When that happened, their response was, oh, let's go find God so we can get this right. Their response was that they hid themselves in the garden. And it was God who came in the garden in the cool of the day looking for Adam and Eve and enjoying the day as he would enjoy the every day with his creation. And as he came, they were hiding from God. Sin will always embarrass man. Sin will always convict man. Sin will always condemn man. Sin will always drive man to get away from God because he knows in the presence of God in his sin, he is guilty. And, and so God is the one who comes pursuing mankind. And so uh, well, Jesus, his son, was sent in this world so that man could pursue, I'm sorry, God could pursue man. So God came looking for Adam and Eve. And you know, it was God who came to warn Lot of destruction. Uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, it wasn't Lot running after God. As for sure, Lot knew God. The Bible refers to Lot as righteous Lot. It's for sure that uh, uh, Lot uh, was aware of Abraham's relationship with God. But in the Sodom, cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was so wicked and so vile that God's judgment was going to come on that city. And it was God who came looking for Lot to bring him out. And the amazing thing is, is how much God offers in sacrifice to just pursue us in our sinful state. And so when we talk about the love of God, we have to consider the manifestation of God's love. And it's revealed, the manifestation of God's love is revealed in that his only begotten son came into this world, showing us that God is pursuing us. The son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That which was lost was not running to find his God. The 99 sheep, that were in the pasture and the one was lost. That one that was lost didn't come looking for the shepherd. The shepherd went looking for that one sheep. And so it is always God that is reaching out to man. So the manifestation of God's love is God reaching towards man. But it's also God reconciling man. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 19, God reconciling us to himself. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 says to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So it is God reconciling himself with man. The amazing thing is that Jesus, when he met with the woman that was called in adultery, uh, when he dealt with her and there was no accusers left after he would write on the sand in the ground, uh, he would tell the woman called it adultery, go and sin no more. And so reconciling man to his God. The reconciliation of man to his God is not God loving us and allowing us to continue in our sin. 
But the reconciliation of God is that he loves us so much that he sent his son into this world that he might be able to save us and forgive us and redeem us from all of our sins so that we might be delivered from our sin and we don't have to sin anymore. The love of God is that he loves us enough to set us free from the bondage of sin. I don't know why it is we have this concept that God saves us, but we're all still in bondage to sin. No, he has saved us. He's reconciled us unto himself so that we might be able to be freed from sin. Jesus' cry on the cross. It's amazing. He cry, As he's hung on the cross, he's falsely accused. He's brutally beaten, savage, savagely tortured. And he's hanging on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Uh, that is God desiring and reaching out to man to reconcile him unto himself. The reconciliation of God involves the sacrifice of Christ on Calvary. So the manifestation of God's love is you have to look to the cross and see Jesus hanging there and dying there. And so we, we enjoy the love of God because he demonstrates in a, in a real way how to build a relationship, sacrificing his son, practical sacrifice of the, of the innocent for the sinner, and a relationship that is built based on faith and faith alone because God's mercy is extended to man as he forgives him. So the manifestation of God's love is his only begotten son coming into this world. So God is reaching out to man. God is reconciling man. And God is redeeming man. In First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, uh, God is redeeming. It means, redeem means to purchase or to buy out of the slave market. We are in bondage and slaves to sin, but God has bought us out. He has redeemed us. In First Peter chapter 1 and verse 18 says, For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation, which means lifestyle, received by traditions from your fathers, but by the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. The amazing thing is this, the redemption of God cost something. And love costs something. Love is an action. Uh, love, love is an offering. Love is a sacrifice, and God showed his love towards us uh, because of the fact that Jesus Christ came and he shed his blood on Calvary, and because he has shed his blood on Calvary, then the price has been paid for our soul that we might be able to be redeemed. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, in verse 20, tells us, For ye are bought with a price, Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so the reminder is this, that God loves us so much that he purchased us, he redeemed us, and because he has bought us, we are not our own. We do not dictate to God who we are, what we are, or what we want to do, or what we want to accomplish. We acknowledge the fact that God loves us so much that he has purchased us. And because he has purchased us by sending his only son into this world to redeem us through the shedding of his blood, then our ownership of our life is transferred to God and God alone. 
And so the manifestation of God's love is very clear. In this was manifested the love of God towards us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. I see not only the manifestation of God's love, but I see the motivation of God's love. In verse 9 in our text is that we might live through him. And uh, Jesus came into this world. God sent his son into this world to demonstrate and, and reveal his love for us that he might give us life. It's, it's always interesting to me that people act like it's a, uh, such a scary thing to give their life over to God. They act like God is this ogre that is ready to destroy them. When in reality, God sent his son in this world not to destroy us. He sent his son in this world that he might save us so that he might give us life. In Colossians chapter 2, he did that because we're dead in our trespasses of sin. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 he says, And you, being dead in your sins and uncircumcised in your flesh, hath he quickened, which means to make alive, together with him, having forgiven given all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. So the motivation of God's love is that he might give us life. That life that he has for us is based on the fact that we are absolutely dead in our sins. We had no life whatsoever. Not only were we in bondage, not only were we separated from God, but the Bible says that we were dead. We had no life. But Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, he forgave all of our trespasses and by forgiving all of our trespasses, he gave us life. He quickened us and made us alive. And he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. I'll tell you, there was an ordinance against me. Mike Weigel, the alcoholic. Mike Weigel, the smoker. Mike Weigel, the cusser. The Mike Weigel with lustful thoughts. Mike Weigel, who was corrupt in his beings. Mike Weigel, who was dead in the trespasses of sin. The handwriting was nailed against the wall, but Jesus took it away when he saved me. The motivation of God's love was to remove the trespasses so that he could give me life. We were dead in the trespasses. We were lost in our temperament. Proverbs chapter 15 speaks in the temperament of man, the condition of man, the thoughts of man, the ways of man. In Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 8 and verse 9, I'll get over there eventually, probably tomorrow afternoon. We'll be all right. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 8 says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. Those that are unsaved, those that are without Christ, when we lived without Christ, my sacrifices, my worship, my desire, desire that was a fleshly driven desire, it was a motivated desire, that desire to manipulate God in my life. Those sacrifices I made to God was an abomination to God. Amen. In verse 9 of Proverbs 15 says, The way of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord, but he loveth him that followeth after righteousness. 
You look at the world and you see all that they're doing. Uh, you see them trying to do social things. They see them trying to change you know, society and trying to be a help to people. And all these things are nice and they are good. But the Bible says all their ways are an abomination to God. Because the motive, the drive, the meaning, everything about what they're doing is behind self-gratification and acknowledgement and investment and profit is all about themselves rather than to glorify God. The ways of man is an abomination unto God. Lost, we're lost in our temperament. Proverbs chapter 15 and verse 26, the thoughts of the wicked are an abomination to the Lord, but the words of the pure are pleasant words. You know, our thoughts cannot even please God without Christ. There's not one thought that comes across our mind that is pleasing to God because we are sold under sin, we're lost in our temperament, we're dead in our trespasses, and so everything that we are, everything that we try to accomplish, everything that we do, whether it be trying to be spiritual or whether it's trying to be secular, everything is an abomination to God. People say, well, you know, I know they're not saved, but they love the Lord. That is not theolo theologically correct. We don't like acknowledging it, but the reality is if someone is not born again, they're not a child of God, their thoughts, their sacrifice, their worship, their prayers, we could go on through Proverbs and see all these things are an abomination to God. So the motivation of God's love is he wants to give us life where we are, there is death and he wants to give us deliverance when there, we are in a lost state. Then in Romans chapter 7, we're condemned in truth. Romans chapter 7, it doesn't depend on what man has to think or what man has to say. What is the truth? We live in an era uh, in history where anyone can say anything and it has to be accepted as truth when it has no foundation or basis for what's being stated. But there is only one measuring stick by which we come to the truth of or, or approach the reality of something that is uh, truthful and honest, and that's the Word of God. In Romans chapter 7, in verse 7, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said... Thou shalt not covet, but sin taketh occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, which means lust or desires that are out of control. For without the law, sin was dead, for I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. What's he saying? Man can feel pretty good about himself and justify the way he lives if he's not looking into the law of God. But once the law of God is revealed, then it condemns man because the law, word of God is the absolute truth. And so the motivation of God's love is that he wants us to have life because we're condemned, we're lost, and we're dead. But Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. And I'm thankful tonight 
the love of God gives me life, an abundant life, an exciting life, a secure life, an enduring life, an eternal life. And I'm going to tell you, when you come to the end of your life, it's going to make all the difference in the world whether you've experienced the love of God or not. So I see the manifestation of God's love. God sent his only begotten son in the world. I see the motivation of love that he desires for us that we might have life. And then I see the magnification of God's love in verse 10. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Propitiation just simply means to appease or to satisfy. So Jesus Christ came into this world and he was sacrificed on the cross of Calvary for the purpose of satisfying the demands or the requirements to remove sin. And so he came to be the propitiation for our sin. And so what did that involve? It involved a sacrifice of the just for the unjust. Uh, Jesus Christ, as we looked at this morning, uh, was completely pure and honest and just in all that he's, he did on this earth. But in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 18 it says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. And that's why you can't sacrifice Christ over and over again. Uh, you can't have a communion as the Catholic Church does and believe in transubstantiation and the, the juice becomes the blood of Christ and the bread becomes the body of Christ and this is your sacrifice being offered for you again. No, he's not offered over and over again. By the which will we are sanctified through the, of the, by the offering of, of Christ once for all. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 10, and in our passage here in 1 Peter 1, 18, for Christ hath once suffered for sins. Just one time is all he was crucified. The just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Uh, the sacrifice of the just for the unjust. The magnification of the love of God. And see, that's where God looks at uh, love as being something that is sacrificial. And then he, not only that, but he is sanctifying, the sanctifying of sin for salvation. Not only is there a sacrifice that offered, but there is also sanctification uh, that is experienced in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5 and verse 23. Tells us about the sanctification that we have in Jesus Christ, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23 says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've had people over the years say, well, it doesn't matter how you live because God looks on the heart. Uh, well, explain that verse to me. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly. I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, the sanctifying of God in a person's life, God loves us so much, the magnification of that love is he just doesn't just sacrifice Christ for our sins he sanctifies us for his own glory. And I'm thankful that God has a spirit of sanctification upon us. 
And there's also this matter of the signet of adoption. All the way back in Luke chapter 15, we know Luke chapter 15. It's a, a familiar passage. It's the prodigal son where we read about the prodigal son leaving the father's house and squandering all of his living, riotous living, spent all of his money, lost everything, and he realized that, wait a minute, he could go back to his father's house and he would be better off being a servant in his father's house than living in the squalor that he was living in. In Luke chapter 15 and verse 22, as the son returns, it says, But the father said to the servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Why would he do that? Because it's identifying him as part of the family. And the amazing thing is this, that God, when he saves us, and he delivers us. The love of Christ enables us to become a part of the family of God. We're adopted into the family of God, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It is the Spirit of God that witnesses to our spirit that we are the children of God. And so I'm thankful that we have the signet of salvation, the signet of adoption into the family of God. But as many as received him to them, gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I'm thankful tonight. The magnification of the love of God goes from sacrifice to sanctifying the signet. And I'm glad he puts his stamp on us and because he owns us and he purchased us with his own blood. No other John writes in these great chapters in reference to love. In verse 7 of our text, he says, Of love, let us love one another. Jesus said, Hereby shall men know you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. Beloved, let us love one another. And he tells us why. For love is of God. We're not talking about the world's view of love. We're not talking about the world's way of loving. We're talking about the love that God has for us. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. And in verse 8 he says, And he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. The greatest thing that we can experience in our life is allowing the love of Christ to flow through us that we'll be willing to reach out to others. And we'll be willing to do whatever we can to be a help to others, to be able to lead them to Christ and help them to know what real love is. Uh, I think of the kids that we pick up with the vans and with the bus. I just believe with all my heart we need to get more kids, more kids that are struggling and more kids that are having problems and having difficulties. We need to get out there and get them in the church and show them what the love of God is. We need to get people in the church as they come in. Don't look at them funny. Don't, don't think, well, boy, they're not dressed appropriately or whatever. Realize this, the love of God looks on that precious soul as one who is lost and on its way to hell and he wants them to be saved and wants them to be delivered. I remember years ago, I led this fellow to the Lord. He was a big guy. He stood taller than I am, six foot one. But he, I had to look up at him. Ever since he was nine years old, he lived on the streets. His mom was a drug addict. His father was nowhere to be found. His mom was a drug addict, threw him out of the house when he was nine years old. He had to live on the streets. He ate food out of the dumpsters. Uh, he survived in any way that he could. 
He ended up becoming, uh, of course, a drunkard and a drug addict. He ended up selling his body into prostitution. Uh, this man had teeth that were missing. Uh, when I saw this man, I thought for sure uh, he was Bigfoot. Because I'll tell you, he had a beard down to here. And he had hair down here. And I mean, he had teeth out of his mouth. And I mean, he was a mess. And I told him, I said, I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know God cares. He said, and I'll never, forget, I'll never forget that he told me, he said, I've never had anybody love me. I've never had anybody love me. And I told him, he said, well, I'm going to tell you something right now. I know somebody who loves you. And that's God in heaven. He sent his son to in this world to die for you. And you can be gloriously saved. I ended up leading that man to the Lord. After several times visiting him, I baptized him in the church. I mean, when he walked in the church, you should have seen how people looked at him. I mean, they were scared to death. I mean, he looked that bad. And I mean, he walked in the church and I saw all these super saints. And they were just sitting in the church. And he come walking in and they're all gawking at him and looking at him. And I thought, not one of them. Not one of them, not one of them went over and hugged the man. Not one of them reached out their hand in Christian fellowship. I baptized that man, and he was so excited he got saved. And then he started coming out to church. And the next thing you know, I just, I never said anything to him about his hair or anything else, about the way he dressed. I, he had nothing. And I, all of a sudden, I saw him starting to clean up. All of a sudden, I saw him starting to change what he was wearing when he came to church. All of a sudden, I saw his beard was gone. Well, that was a strange thing to see him without his beard. Then all of a sudden, he got a haircut. He came in. I saw it. I said, well, I ain't saying a word. I'm not saying a word to him. He kept following me around. He came over. He said, preacher, how do you like my haircut? Now I said, man, you're looking sharp. I felt like saying, you better do something about those teeth, man. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you something. Uh, that, that man, that man right there showed me and demonstrated to me what it was to experience the love of God when nobody else loves you. And the sad thing is we live too much of our life as Christians sitting in the church house and not going out and telling people that there is a God in heaven that loves them, that can save them, that can change them and make them holy in his eyesight. We live our lives completely separated from the reality of what the love of God is. Oh, I couldn't go out and talk to somebody. I don't enjoy talking to people I don't know. Well, God's view of love is sacrificial. Oh, I just, you don't have to understand. I got work and I got family. I got all these things. I could never go out and tell somebody how to be saved. It's sacrificial. The love of God is very practical because God's duties, our old preacher say years ago, God's duties never conflict. And if there is a conflict in me living my Christian life and reaching out to others, it's not because of God, it's because of me, and I need to make some adjustments in my life. Because I have to be practical. Why? Because there's people out there I need to develop a relationship with. I remember one fellow... When I was down in Dividing Creek, I remember him complaining about the church going under and all this, that, and the other. And I told him, I said, all we need to do is pray and go soul winning. God will take care of the church. We ain't got to worry about the church. It's Christ's church. It's not ours. It's his. 
And then one day, I don't know, about a year and a half, two years later, he came to me and he was all mad because he always waited to the last minute to come in the church service. And uh, he came into the church service and there was no seats for him. And he got all mad at me. He said, "Why well, you got so many people coming out here anymore. They ain't nowhere to sit. They took my seat. I told him, I said, then get up earlier and get here earlier. Amen. You want a good seat? Uh, then get in here early. I told him, I said, you know what? In a Baptist church, the front pew is always empty. <laughs> I said, so come on up and sit on the front row. I said, you need to get under the spout where the glory comes out. Amen. <laughs> you say, what does that got to do with anything? A spirit of like that is, has a total disregard for the love of God for sinners who are lost. And I'll tell you, we've been singing about love of God all day today. I hope it touched your heart. I hope it impressed upon you those that need to hear about the love of God. There's people just right outside the door. You don't have to go far. Just go across the street. There's people who don't know what it is to have real love. And so John tells us what real love is. God's love, the manifestation of God's love. I'm glad he revealed his love through his only begotten son. The motivation of God's love. I'm glad he said that he, we might have life. I'm glad. I, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so happy as a Christian. I am. I'm so excited about being a Christian. I hold myself back. If I ever let myself go, it would scare half of you to death. You would have to be, I'd have to increase my hospital visits because you'd be having heart attacks. And so I hold myself back. The motivation of God's love. And then there's the magnification of God's love. I mean, every day, the love of Christ just blossoms. Every day, the love of Christ explodes in our life. And the sad thing is, is most of us aren't even experiencing it because we're not looking for it. John knew what it was. In all the trial and all the difficulty, it was John who continued to lay on the bosom of Jesus. It was John who was stated that of all the 12 disciples, 12 disciples of all that Jesus could say about his disciples, it was John who he identified as the one whom Jesus loved. And boy, how I wanted to be declared that, that, that it is evident that Jesus Christ loves Mike Weigel. That God in heaven loves me enough that I can identify with the reality that nobody cares for me like Jesus Christ. And when everything is falling apart and it seems like there's nowhere to turn and it seems like you don't have the energy to go on, it is the love of God that will fill you with joy that's real joy, abundant and free and exciting, and you can continue on because of the love of God that is in your heart. I, I tell you, I'm, I'm praying for our kids in our Christian school. And uh, we were singing in chapel the other day. And we were singing Amazing Grace. And 90% of the kids weren't singing. And I stopped. I stopped and I told him, I said, I'm going to tell you one thing right now. When you're laying on death's bed, amazing grace is going to come real to you. 
because it's only by God's grace that you can be saved and know you're going to heaven. And I said, I think we need to start the song over, and I think you need to start singing like you mean it. I tell you, it's a sad thing. It's a sad thing because we are not connecting with the reality of how much God loves us. And boy, 1 John chapter 4 is packed full of statements in reference to the love of God. Well, I hope you know that God loves you tonight. I hope you're excited about the love of God. I hope that you're enjoying this sweet relationship with a holy God in heaven. Tell somebody about it. Just tell somebody that you're saved and you're going to heaven. I was, I was in the hospital, I don't know, probably about six, seven months ago. It might have been longer than that. I don't know, I was just happy in the Lord. I was visiting some folks in there, and I got into the, the I have to watch myself, because I just start singing songs out loud. And uh, I start directing music when I'm driving down the road. People sitting next to me think I'm a nutcase. But anyway, oh, uh, I walked in the, in the elevator. I started singing. And uh, there's a woman in there, and she looked at me. I didn't think nothing about it. I just started singing. I was happy in the Lord. And she looked at me, she said, well, you're happy today. And I said, well, I've got a good reason to be happy. God loves me. I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. I'll tell you, God's been good to me. I said, matter of fact, here, I want to give you something to read. And I gave her a track. And she didn't say, she didn't say, oh, I don't want that track. She took it. Why? Because she saw somebody had some joy on his face. He saw somebody that wasn't embarrassed about being a Christian. Why? Because the love of God was flooding my heart that day. And I'm going to tell you, going in the hospital and visiting people, it isn't always a positive experience. But I'm going to tell you, the love of Christ is. And you can keep going and you can experience joy because of the love of God. Let's pray. My Father, I come to you. I thank you so much for your love for me. was a vile, wicked man, and yet, God, you loved me. God, I could call for testimonies tonight of people to share how you, they've experienced your love in their life. And we could be here for hours rejoicing and acknowledging and testifying of the fact that you love us. God, help us to take that zeal, that excitement, that message and share it with people who don't know what love is. Here's somebody, there's somebody outside of this church tonight that is just broken. They have nothing to look forward to. But God, you could send thy Holy Spirit upon them. We could be the messenger to help them to understand that there is somebody that loves them. So, Lord, help us to be like John, to be an epistle, to be a light, to be a letter, to be the messenger, to be the deliverer of the love of God to somebody who is hurting. God, I prayed you'd bless us in this invitation. God, we would just be renewed and refreshed. 
and the reality of the love of Christ that's in us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.